Welcome to Vincent Price's Laugh. Good evening, LB. Good evening, Skeletor. <laughs> no! I was... Yes, I'm Skeletor. <laughs> what? Which is not what this podcast is about! No. No, um... <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Hello, LB. That's a weird way to start a noir vember podcast. <laughs> Just happened. I was sitting in my office when she walked in. <laughs> That's almost Jordan Cole there. Uh, almost. Almost. Is that the only way that you can work him in? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. There's no <laughs> other link. <laughs> okay. So Vincent Price was in all kinds of different movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Most people think he's just in those silly macabre type of movies. Right. But he was in many kinds of movies. He's an actor. Yeah, he's an actor. He trained in the London theater. Yeah, so I mean, he knows all kinds of ways. But he really did this sort of theatrical way. Back when we became aware of him in the 70s and the 80s, when he started doing hammy things. Uh-huh. Not uh, hammer things? Not hammer. No, I don't think he ever did a hammer movie. No, they were always like post-hammer. Yeah. But where he hams up or does something with the Muppets or Scooby-Doo and silly things like that. Commercials for shrunken apple heads and tylex that's a yeah and tylex yeah so previously in his career he did dramatic work Mm -hmm. one such work was a movie called laura 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 you have rarely met a girl like laura few women have been so beautiful so exotic so dangerous to know you're laura hunt aren't you yes i'm shelby carpenter want to dance i'm not alone Oh, you poor girl. I bet he still does the polka. Yes, Betsy Ross taught it to me. It was as natural for Laura to be picked out from among thousands of alluring girls as it was for her to be surrounded by luxury, mystery, and scheming men. Every woman will feel that when it comes to men, Laura gets by with murder. Every man will feel that when it comes to murder, it couldn't involve a more enticing girl. Don't worry. I told you I'd bring in the killer today. Yeah, I was just going to make the arrest when you pull. No, I can't tell you now. I'm not alone. You'll see when I come in. Laura is a film that I have to confess I had not seen until recently. And then you made me watch it. Yeah. Because you liked it so much. Yes. And I, at first I was just like, meh. Oh, it's 1944. It's like about as old as my dad. Bleh. Well, also, film noir is interesting, except it's not at the same time. It's like a style that you're familiar with to the point of you don't feel like you really need to watch it. Well, the deal is we see so many effects of film noir in other films. Let's say Blade Runner. Let's say Mulholland Drive. Let's say all these more current films, even though those are kind of old now. Film noir has a lasting effect. It's a Hollywood genre that it's boomed out of the pulp novels and and mysteries. But the visual hallmarks are there in a lot of things that we like to watch Mm -hmm. now. But to go back and watch them, we go, oh, those are archaic. Those are kind of old. Unless it's like something outstanding. Just absolutely visually outstanding or content or both. Right. We then put the brakes and go, whoa, 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 whoa. This stands the test of time. Right. It's fascinating. Right. And that's the sort of thing 
Laura is. Right, because there's... A, I don't want to sound like we're dismissing a film noir. It, film noir was a genre like any other, so there's a bunch of cheapies out there. Right, so, like, I just don't really... Personally, I don't have the patience to go back and try to find those little gems, so that's what our friends are for, to point things out. But Laura, though, was always one that I wanted to watch, knowing, well, of course, Vincent Price is in it, but also Otto Preminger, who I have a great deal of interest and respect for. As a filmmaker goes. Yeah. I mean, he's a bit of a tyrant on the set. Right. Like Alfred Hitchcock was. But not so he was like bad. He was like that to everybody in a general sense. And Hitchcock was like that to a specific cast member each movie. <laughs> who happened right. to be a blonde woman. Yeah, and I think Hitchcock was more of a... It was kind of a psychological thing for him. That's a whole other Yeah, but Otto Preminger was, yeah. was a gruff dude on the set off the set he was just a cool dude he was in batman 66 the original batman series yeah he played mr freeze right so he's got a fun side to him it's just when he's making a film very control freak i don't know if you do or not and i don't have any information but on the set of Laura, did he run amok? Did he crack a whip? The production of Laura, you know, it's one of those, you always hear about, oh, the troubled production or whatever, but it kind of fits that story where Preminger wanted to make this film. It's based on a novel and the novel is going to be turned into a play, which never really panned out. Okay. So he wanted to make this film and he and the author of the novel butted heads a bit and I, I don't know exactly what that might have been about i mean i'm assuming just the direction of how the story was going to play out so there was that drama to begin with but then the studio heads told Preminger that they did not want him to direct it they wanted him to be a producer only Hmm. so they got this other guy to direct and he and Preminger would always be clashing about you know the way things are going or who was cast Preminger wanted this really kind of subtle way of doing everything like okay so the director wanted to do kind of like this big broadway sort of like grand production of laura and premature was like no no no, you need to dial it back dude like it just needs to be really kind of normal (laughs) you know like real people coming into a scene and talking as opposed to well what are you doing here right it's more like hey what are you doing here Yes. One example of this, the person that the director of the film, and I'm sorry, I don't actually know his name, the guy who was eventually replaced, he wanted this actor named Laird Krieger, who was known for being a villain. Like, he played all these sinister type roles. Twirling the mustache. Yeah. He played Jack the Ripper once. So, Preminger was like, no, you don't want to cast that guy because people... telegraphs. Right. People will assume that he is the bad guy or, you know... Even if he is cast as the bad guy, they're just going to know it. Even if he isn't right. cast as the bad guy, he's going to be distracted. Right. And this was for the role of Waldo Lidecker, which actually went to Clifton Webb later. Is that the reporter? Yeah. Well, he's not a reporter really he's a columnist oh right right yeah he does op-eds opinion editorials right yes premature's like no you're gonna lead the audience too much goes to the studio and he's like hey this guy you got to direct he's just he doesn't know what he's doing everything is way on the nose 
Yeah. Like, this is not cool. This movie is not going to be good. For a mystery, you need things to slowly unfold. Right. Pieces to shift into place. You don't need everything to be hammered into place right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the studios were like, okay, fine. You can fire him. So he did, and they let him direct. So Primager... Got his way. Got his way, yeah. Which is what he's used to. (laughs) (laughs) So... When that happened, though, like on the set, the cast were really kind of weary of Primager. Well, I don't know about this Primager guy. Well, we were so used <laughs> to speaking so broadly and loudly about what the plot is as it's happening. <laughs> well, they were led to believe by the previous director that Primager hated them. That, like, he thought that they were the reason why this film was going badly so far. So they were like, uh... What? That's shystery. Right. Um, but Vincent Price, a quote from him, he said, Once they got used to Otto, they had a pretty good time. Well, that's how it would go when yeah. you earn somebody's trust. Or when right. they let their guards down and be cooperative. Misinformation sucks. Willful misinformation sucks. Uh-huh. Sabotage, you know? Right. It's all ego games. Uh-huh. I can't believe, like, Hollywood was pretty fresh at the time. It was the 40s, so it's been around for 20 years, which isn't a very long time. It's strange how an industry grows like that, and, and it's always been the same lobster bucket full of people pulling each other down, trying to raise themselves out of the water, you know? Mm-hmm. But the deal is, there's no hot water. <laughs> Except for that which they make, which is urine, usually, uh, because they paint themselves. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying things that try to... Okay, never mind. <laughs> Point is, it seems to always be that way, and it's crazy, the behind-the-scenes antics. There's hardly ever a story in Hollywood where somebody isn't screwing somebody else over. Yep. It's goofy. Not in a fun way, either. <laughs> So what's the basic mystery of Laura? Well, Laura is a woman who everybody assumes is dead. More than likely is, as the plot unfolds. She's nowhere to be seen. There's some sort of foul play going on. Mm -hmm. She's been murdered. And a cop comes in. He's a detective. And he's detecting. And he meets a rogues gallery of sorts. But they're, as you say, subtle. They're not cartoonish, twirling their mustaches. And all that. But everybody is a suspect. Yep. The woman friend is a suspect. The man friend is a suspect. The suitor, Vincent Price, is a suspect. Uh Uh-huh. He plays a cad. (laughs) As they would say back in the olden times. A cad. Every single person that they meet is a suspect. And there's a point at which he develops an infatuation with Laura, who is dead. But the scene is her as a ghost. Sort of. You mean the detective? Yeah, the detective. Okay. He's in love with a corpse. He's in love with the idea of a woman yeah. named Laura because she's just fantastic or was and everybody loves her. And he has these visions of her. Mm-hmm. And then the plot shifts. You should watch it and find it somewhere. But after all is said and done and our detective is down and out or whatever there's a sequel that was made a sort of sequel kind of sequel it is so so we tricked you for this podcast well vincent price is pretty great (laughs) vincent price is pretty great in this so but he's playing a cat he's plays a a creep he he's he wants to uh get with laura because he's not a man rolling in the dough and she has a lot more money than he does in status so yeah that's the vincent price thing Mm -hmm. and he's good in it he's really good in it but he's nowhere to be seen in the sequel which was made in 1990 (laughs) it's not really a sequel it's kind of a sequel (laughs) it's kind of and the movie's called singapore sling laura 
is the face in the misty light. But the chauffeur was incredibly Footsteps strong. He had to be stabbed five times. Down the hall, the laugh that flows on a summer night that you can never quite recall and you see Laura on a train that is passing through those eyes how familiar they see she gave her very first kiss it could be you or perhaps you to you so it's for tonight that was Laura but she So, Albie, this, not exactly a sequel, why do I call it that, but it is a sequel, but not really? Why do I say that? Singapore Sling is heavily influenced by the movie Laura. Which includes mention of a character named Laura. Right. Who had also gone missing again. Uh-oh. Kind of around the first movie, but whatever, you have to. And a detective, apparently the same detective, who was infatuated. Mm-hmm was dumped by Laura, but she goes missing, and he goes searching for her. At the beginning of the film, we meet him in the rain, slumped by his vehicle, and he's wounded. And he stumbles towards a house, where he's met by two possibly lovely women who take him in. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's fine. That's easy, right? That's nice. Nice ladies. <laughs> yeah. That's that's nice of them to be so trusting with a wounded man. Sure. This is a, a troubling movie to talk about. L- let's just go into a little bit of... Let's set up well, Singapore well, Sling a bit. First, who directed this movie? It's directed by the Greek filmmaker Nico Nicolaitis, who is a very interesting person, a very interesting filmmaker. He makes weird, weird films that I don't think a lot of people are too familiar with. I'm pretty sure no one in America or who's listening to our podcast will be familiar. Probably not. Now, Singapore Sling is probably the most recognizable of his titles. It was the one that I learned about so many years ago and told you about. I kind of want to find this movie and we happened upon it at a going out of business Tower Uh Records in which I was like, I'm getting this. Mm -hmm. But I had heard about it because I'm on these film groups who like weird, underground, strange, yeah, bizarre movies. And this, ah, that fits. It this definitely, fits that definitely. It's all black and white. Yeah, this one is. Not all of his films look like this one exactly. They're not all black and white. They're not all of, I don't even know how to describe the setting, really. There's a lot of frilliness going on. It's a lot of like Victorian well, looking. Well, it seems like an opulent building. Like, yeah. Like a... Like a mansion, a small mansion, maybe, but like a mansion, and it's filled to the brim with 
Fancy uh, ornate wood mantles, things uh-huh. like that. And then around that, it's decorated in a very somewhat art deco mm-hmm. style. And like with peacock feathers here and there, that sort of fanciness. Yeah. Almost a flapper era. Right. It's really strange because it feels like it could be any time period except for maybe not at the same time. Well, once you realize that it is a semi-sequel to Laura, you're like, oh, so this is like in the 50s now or something. Right. Now, please note that when we say this is a sequel, it is like absolutely not any sort of authorized No, it's not. Anything. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just just in theme and uh, just little notes. Like, Little accents are reminiscent of Laura, okay? So his films generally deal with depravity, but also opulence. So it's like that mix of trash and art, but not in the same way as, let's say, John Waters or something like that. It's not that kind of trash. It's high art trash. Right. Well, yeah, John Waters is lowbrow. Nicolaitis uses, well, it's international cinema, but Uh I think the only way that he can get views is through international film festivals, which would be art house Mm -hmm. film festivals. Well, I don't think it's weird that nobody really talks about him because he's Greek and, you know, it's all Greek to me. Uh You know, that's actually the sentiment of folks living in English-speaking places most of the time or American-speaking places, there's a difference. And we don't like to read subtitles. We get sleepy, it bores us, or whatever. We most often just tune out and turn it off and go, oh, this is homework watching a movie with subtitles. Right. So therein lies the problem with his films getting exposure. Also, they're confrontational and often disturbing. That's true. His characters really are in extreme situations a lot. There's always a power struggle or something going on. There's a lot about sex and death, the relationship between that. They're all always outcasts or nonconformists. Or bored rich people. (laughs) Right? Or like cynical people. You know the pulp song, Common People? Yeah. Like, it kind of reminds me of that in a way, but, like, much more extreme. I kind of get what you're saying about the pulp thing, but not quite that. Because in the pulp song, it's just a rich girl who has no idea what it's like to live the life of a poor person. Saying, I want to be like common people. Right, so she's slumming it. So she's slumming it. And he's saying, saying, this is what you have to do to live like a common person. Don't have a golden parachute. Don't have daddy to help you you suffer just like the rest of us Mm -hmm. and then you go home and count the roaches on the wall and all that so these people are more like uh, well in, in some of these stories that he's made not in particular well sort of singapore sling but the other ones that we've seen bits of Mm-hmm. It seems like they're wealthy or bored or wealthy and bored or like they have the means to just drop everything and go murder somebody after they just had sex with somebody else. Because kicks. Right. And so it seems like a commentary on maybe classism, maybe how cavalier and wanton uh, the upper crust seem to be with disposing of whomever they yeah, yeah, choose, yeah. etc. So. Uh-huh. Because, you know, they can't because I got the money and I can get away with it type of thing. And even if it's about poor folks behaving that way, it's the opposite (laughs) side of that coin wherein they're like, we're all dead anyway. 
So it's nihilism. Right. That's what I was trying to get to is the nihilistic viewpoint that a lot of his films end up having. Singapore Sling is one of those. Now, when you watch the trailers for three of his films back to back, it all seems like, is this the same movie? Kind of, kind of. And so I was wondering if he does what David Lynch does, how David Lynch has the repeating concept in various projects of his Uh of the switched identity. Also buried within noir. This guy seems, at least in three of his movies, a little bit in this one, to have a kind of narrative that he likes to repeat. Right. Now, I would say probably to that. Like trying to perfect it or something. Yeah, yeah. Th- those three films that you're talking about are referred to as the Years of Cholera trilogy, which I'm sure everyone knows about. Oh, the Years of Cholera. <laughs> And those three movies are The Wretches Are Still Singing, made in 1979, Sweet Bunch in 1983, and The Loser Takes It All in 2002. So Loser Takes It All seems to be like his last movie. Perhaps. Wait, no. Zero Years is the last feature film, and then he died in... 2007 Mm -hmm. so we can never ask him the question what's up with you dude (laughs) man i wish i could ask him that uh his movies oh man they're just so weird it's a lot of i think form being greater than content how do you mean well let's get into singapore sling shall we we shall so the two ladies who live in the house that welcome our unnamed detective. Mm -hmm. That's mother and daughter, right? Yes, and they are called mother and daughter. They do not have proper names. Right. Well, daughter is, to me, a very attractive woman. She is. Like, very. And mother seems to only be, like, a few years older and also is attractive. So... They seem to have a very strange relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, when we first meet them, they are digging a hole in their back garden. It's raining, it's storming. And it's muddy, it's It's gross. It's muddy, and they are just wearing frilly little robes, stockings. They're sheer robes, Uh and... They're in lingerie. Yes, and their privates are showing Mm -hmm. very muddy and gross, and they're digging this hole, and you think, oh, this is what I'm in for. Yeah, okay, what am I in for? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Both, okay? Semi-naked ladies digging a hole. It's rainy, it's muddy, it's gross. Oh, Oh, they're pushing a body into the hole? What? Yeah. Now, this body that they're burying is their chauffeur, whom they have admittedly killed. Yeah. And it seems that every servant that their family has ever had gets murdered and buried in the garden. And this has been a family tradition for a very long time, started by their father. Their father. Well, her husband. Yeah, the father, who is not in the picture anymore. He did. So they're carrying on his legacy, I guess, by killing their servants. and Kind of like the Saw movies. <laughs> If you think about it, right? if the Saw movies had naked ladies doing this stuff to people without any traps or anything. Uh, maybe. No, not at all. No. Anyway. <laughs> and the thing is, it's kind of this game that they play. I want to play a game. Now, Laura is just talked about in this movie. She's... She seems to have been one of the servants. Yeah. So mother and daughter play a sexy role-playing game. We should just go ahead and get this out of the way. This is an incestuous story. Or is it because they don't even look related? 
So we don't even know if they're really mother and daughter. We're just told that they're mother and daughter. This is how mind warping this movie is, really. <laughs> but they don't look related. One absolutely looks Greek. The other one looks white. So is it a case of Stockholm Syndrome from when the father had trained daughter to be a certain way? She admits later on in the film that she hated father and i don't know i i don't think that uh, it, this is just going on what i understand of nicolaitis is he liked to champion those who are into kink that's very apparent in this film right like, I'm, I'm not i'm not a very kinky dude so this was a very confrontational <laughs> film for me it was not necessarily literally, but the first time watching this film, it was a very confusing bonus. <laughs> um, I think that's a very succinct way to put it, because it is for me, too. This, this God, this is so hard to talk about. Uh, I'm torn, because this is a very sexy movie. Super, like I said, daughter. Hey there, lady. <laughs> you know? But then also, it's gross. Yeah, it's pretty... It's really gross. The thing about it, though, is it's presented in such a way that you're totally okay with everything. Like, like you just go with it, and well, it's fine. Uh, part of it is actually the mise-en-scene, how uh -huh. it's shot. So he's working the camera in a way where the lenses blow out the background and stretch it in distortion when it's out of focus, uh -huh. which is something I absolutely adore when I'm watching a movie. So... John Carpenter does this in some of his movies where the background goes stretchy or whatever while it's focusing on a guy in the foreground. And I'm like, that's beautiful because it really is. And it's also something that my eye hardly ever sees in real life. Mm -hmm. So I respond to this sort of thing. And this is the kind of lens work that he does in this film. And it's black and white, too. So he ups the starkness and the contrast and lights and shadows like really good film noir back in the day. Mm -hmm. And it makes the thing visually interesting yeah even if it's a kind of a chaotic mess in a room which in color would be like barf all over the place <laughs> and that eases you into the scenes that are full of barf like literal barf literal well, barf uh, like, and people doing bad things yeah, to each other you said you said that and okay let's let's just say there's plenty of really disgusting things that happen in this movie now when we say disgusting we mean subjectively disgusting okay like it's disgusting to us may not be disgusting to you and that's fine but we're talking about golden showers roman showers the binging and purging of really weird gross food like lambs head innards being scooped out and eaten just really weird stuff okay let me go on record and say i think it's objectively disgusting roman showers barfing is barf it's just gross barf i smell the barf i start to gag i think that's just naturally objectively gross i get sick i'm a sympathetic puker or retcher really because it's hard for me to puke but when I uh -huh. do puke, it means I'm sick. It means, uh, so I think it's an objective gross that. That's fine. I, I think the physical barf, yeah, that's gross. I don't want barf on me. And all of that is shocking. But I'm not quite sure what the shock value intended really was. I'll tell you what it was. Because he said it himself. When he made this film and submitted it to the international market for festivals and all this stuff, he kept on getting 
the word back of how disgusting and depraved and horrible this movie was. But as you and I can attest, some of this is bizarrely humorous, like mm -hmm. weird and funny, still confrontational and disgusting, yet at the same time confusing because you're one, maybe turned on. Two, you think it's funny because it's absurd. Yeah. Three, it's also gross all at once and so it's conflicting. His point, he said, was to make a dark comedy, like yeah. the darkest comedy he could think of, but a comedy nonetheless. So he was sitting back there going, hoo hoo, ha ha, hey, in Greek, thinking it's hilarious. And everybody else is like, you're gross, dude. And he kept <laughs> on getting this, you're gross, dude, comment that he was like, well, well maybe I am gross. Huh. In Greek, of course. Of course. There's a lot of charm in this, too. It's all from daughter, I think. Really. Yeah. Mother is interesting. Like, she's this kind of gypsy woman who speaks French. She reminds me in a way of some kinds of roles that Angelica Houston might play. Yeah. But not anything that I've seen Angelica Houston <laughs> do, you know. It's not Ice Pirates. <laughs> yeah, I, I can really understand what you're saying with that, yeah. Daughter is... She's like a Cupid doll. Well, she doesn't look like a Cupid doll. She speaks like one. She's, mm -hmm. you know, it's all stream of consciousness stuff. Right. It seems. I think it's some of it's scripted, but it seems like it just occurs to her. Uh huh. So the acting seems to be pretty good. Right. She won an award. She won the the Greek awesome actor award. <laughs> That's a real award. I hope you know. Okay. But no, she really did. I, I don't know what it was called. But that's but. the only movie she's ever done. Meredith Harold. Well, she's tremendously talented, like in this film anyway. And I would love to have seen her in more things. But maybe she just decided she didn't want to be an actor anymore. Maybe this movie was too much for her. Oh, <laughs> perhaps... It was, well, it wasn't too much for everybody in the cast because the mother character, that actress keeps working. So, yeah. but Meredith Harold, she ended her career about four years later with a TV movie. Well, she didn't have a long career. She's only been in five things, starting with Singapore Sling. Wait, why is it called Singapore Sling? Oh, okay. The, well, have you ever had a Singapore Sling cocktail? I wish I have, but no. It's one of those old-fashioned, not an old-fashioned, but an old-fashioned drink that popular in like the, the tiki lounges in the 50s, but it's been around for a long time before that. But it's a gin drink that's got different juices and bitters. And the reason why it's the title of this movie is when mother and daughter bring the detective inside. Who has no name otherwise. Right. They are very suspicious of him because they think that he's onto them for killing. However many people they kill. Right, right. So he's unconscious and they're searching him just to see what's in his pockets and whatever. They pull out his detective notebook and inside the detective notebook is, you know, questions about Laura, but also a recipe for a Singapore sling. So obviously that's his name. <laughs> well, no, they just take... It's a nickname. Right, they take to calling him that. So yeah. it's kind of cute. I guess. It's a weird name to call somebody, hey, Singapore sling. <laughs> that's bizarre. As everything in this film is... Now, mm -hmm. the cover of the DVD, actually a lot of the promotional material of this, is a, kind of a, a mummy-looking dude. Yeah. Possibly humping one of the women from behind. It's implied, anyway. And a man with a cage over his face. And I don't really like the graphic design approach to it. However... It was 1990? Well, those earlier ones were fine. I was actually just trying to describe the DVD release by Synapse. 
Oh, okay. I don't really like the graphic design. You know, I don't really like a lot of graphic design that goes along DVDs or movies. Lately, they've been doing a lot better with the boutique re-release people. Uh-huh. They've been doing a lot better, but still some of that's left wanting. But this one was an earlier boutique called Synapse, and their graphic design was just... That's not what sold me on it. Reading about it sold me on it. Mm. Uh, okay, I want to see what this thing's about. Yeah. I think this is one of the grosser movies that I actually do like. There are other gross movies that have disgusting bodily functions featured in the films that don't seem to have this kind of flippancy, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the word is. It's not fun. Yeah, you're talking about... But there's a, a sort of... Who cares? Tone. Other films are like, look at what we're doing. Yeah. Right, where it's not actually subversive. They think they're being subversive, but they're absolutely not. Yeah, they're not. being as subversive as about a middle finger in a preacher's face. You know, that's not subversive. That's just... It's just rude, really. Yeah, stuff like uh, Sweet... A Sweet Movie. Yeah, Sweet Movie. That's what it's Sweet called. Movie is more like this, but it's it's it seems, I don't know, more cynical, darker. Yeah. It doesn't seem to... It's from 1974, and it's got all sorts of... That has poo, that has blood, that has vomit, <laughs> chocolate. Uh-huh. <laughs> Lots of chocolate. It's really gross. I've not seen all of it. I've seen most of it, and it, none of it really seems to make too much sense it's not very coherent this film is more coherent uh, even it though actually it, has a through line right it, even though it's confusing it's confusing it has a through line finally after like the third or fourth time watching it i think we understand it as a kind of a plot yeah and you know what it really helps to see laura first <laughs> it's like a revelation honestly we watched singapore sling like several times yeah then watching Laura and then watching Singapore Sling, like all these lights go on. There are times where Nicolaitis straight up lifts dialogue from Laura or scenes from Laura, but he kind of just twists them a little bit. Oh, a little bit? <laughs> You say a little bit? Okay, fine. It's so interesting. But what's this form content thing? <laughs> the reason why I said that is from what we were talking about, Nicolaitis has an eye for filmmaking. Like he, he has the mise-en-scene. Like there is... You would call him an auteur. Yeah, I would. He, ha he actually has a vision and a language that he has developed in film that is mostly all of his own. Right. Even if it's built on certain other things, like this is built on a film noir called Laura, it's actually a thing unto himself as well. Mm -hmm. And so the content though, there's a lot going on in Singapore Sling. There's a lot to dive into and to discuss and uh, we're keeping it short and sweet because I mean seriously we could talk about this film well for hours probably. At first glance, the first time watching it it was that confusing boner. The second time watching it, it was not more of the same. It was starting to notice other things. And the more you watch it, well at first glance it's it's this big beautiful disgusting mess. Yeah. And that may just be the superficial marks of it. It's just gross and weird and also interesting looking and all that. But each viewing tends to bring out more clarity. Mm -hmm. And you start to understand the character's motivations or really like dive into their psychology and kind of realize that, I mean, this is a really a nihilistic film. Like, there's not much going on in this that has a deep existential meaning or anything. Well... <sighs> 
Kind of like people suck. Like, okay, our character, our main character, doesn't deserve, from what we know, and we don't know anything about him, so he's a blank. Mm -hmm. And if he's a blank, he's us. So he doesn't deserve anything that happens to him. He hasn't earned any of that so far as we know. And nothing comes to light later on that says, ah, but he too is a serial killer or something like that. Right. So he doesn't deserve, because he's the blank like we are, he really doesn't deserve what's happening to him. And by the end of that, boy, oh boy, it's kind of a bummer. However, it's so beautifully done. Right. And it really just amounts to exploitation. And I mean, that's fine for a lot of people. But I I think that there should be a bit, I don't know, I always want some like kind of lesson or something, you know? Well, everything does have a lesson. And this lesson is father, everybody who does something bad, it's a rippling effect of bad. So these two mother daughter continue the bat onto Singapore Sling who in, in his defense he still does something that is quote unquote bad you know defense uh, using violence violence isn't a good thing ever mm-hmm. except you have to use it it's not going to ever bring about yeah except <laughs> if you're playing a video game my point is bad begets bad begets bad yeah and that seems to be what his oh this is a comedy <laughs> message is right Sure, yeah. So there is a deeper meaning. It's just buried within filth and sexiness. Mm -hmm. Sexy, sexy, filth. Filthy, filthy, (laughs) sexy. Something like that. Now, I absolutely recommend that every single one of you track down Singapore Sling and watch it. I believe it's on YouTube with subtitles. Oh. Because it's in Greek with some English. Mm-hmm. Now, the DVD that we have of it is mostly English. Like, well, wherever it's Greek, which is uh-huh. detective voiceover, it's got subtitles. Yes. And then the rest of it is English. Right. But when you do watch it, just be prepared. Don't watch it around your mother. Or father. Or aunt, daughter. Or just be alone <laughs> when you do it. Just go hide in a closet somewhere. <laughs> And watch it. Yeah. Lest um, you be judged from prying eyes. <laughs> but it's really great, and it is probably one of my favorite films ever. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Especially you saying that it's exploitation. I know, because I'm not the biggest exploitation fan. But and it's okay, look, exploitation isn't just 70s movies with chop socky naked ladies. <laughs> right. Okay, so it's all kinds of stuff. And this There's one does film. have a lot yeah. of exploitation yeah. in it, but also it's shot through a very artistic lens. Right. There's the philosophy behind exploitation or a lack of philosophy behind it, and it's just what you put into it. But hey, that Vincent Price and Laura, huh? <laughs> He was a real SOB. <laughs> he did a really great job in Laura. <laughs> Very good. You know, um, everybody talks about Clifton Webb and Laura as Walter Lidecker, and um, he definitely steals the show. No, Laura's good. Laura, Laura's a good film, yes. Um, everybody should watch it as well. And, and then watch Singapore Sling in that order. <laughs> It's true, though. It's true. Have fun with it. So, everybody, thanks for listening again to Vincent Price's Laugh. We will be back with another episode uh, sometime. Whenever. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter or just go to ouchmyego.com and you can see our podcast and also Andrew's other podcast called What Did We Just Watch? You could read some articles, too. That'd be cool. So, on that note, we're going to say goodbye for this November. This may be the only November. November in existence or I don't know if we're doing it next year 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe shrug. Who knows? Good night, everyone. Good night. This podcast is brought to you by Ouch My Ego. Visit OuchMyEgo.com. I was sitting in my office when she walked in.